It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey guys, real quick before we jump into the show, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds to get done and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for being awesome guys. All right, let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Stas Grinberg. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Stas, he is the co-founder and managing principal of Vision and Beyond, a multifamily real estate investment firm with a portfolio of over $250 million and 2,500 plus multifamily residential units under management in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Saz has been in the real estate industry for 10 plus years and has grown vision and beyond from two employees to over 60 and many investors worldwide. Stas, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah. Glad to have you on here today. Been excited to speak with you for a while now. You know, we're going to dive into your experience today, talk about how you've scaled so much and had so much success. But before we do that, man, we want to learn more about you. So tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got into real estate. Of course. So... I was born in Ukraine, which became an interesting piece of information lately. (laughs) I grew up in Israel. I moved when I was a child. I grew up in Israel. I served in the IDF as a combat officer. And uh, that's when I started investing. I had a nice salary and I didn't have time to spend it. So I started uh, looking what to do with it. And I started investing. And I knew the market in Israel was terrible then. It, it tripled itself since, but I, I then presumed that it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it continues to be terrible in my perspective. So I started investing abroad. And abroad, I only trusted one governmental structure. And uh, I started investing in the US uh, roughly around 2011. And uh, myself and my to-be partner later on, and currently, my partner, Peter Gesunterman, we started investing and making very painful mistakes doing that. We were relying on third parties that are relying on third parties and investing from distance and not controlling and not being local to the real estate that we're investing in. And we paid a lot of, uh, you would call them tourist mistakes, but uh, it didn't discourage us. It actually got us more curious to learn more and to be Uh, better at what we do and uh, eventually the last mistake was around 2016-17 when we invested in a commercial building in Atlanta, Georgia that every piece of information on paper looked great, looked like a great deal but uh, what was missing was uh, local knowledge. If we would be local to the area we wouldn't make the mistakes the mistake we did and that cost us a lot of money And uh, we had investors that invested with us in this transaction. And we felt that that they invested because of us and uh, that we're personally responsible for the mistake. So we gathered them together. We told them that we personally owe them 
at the time $950,000. It was way above the money that we had at the time. And uh, we told them that we'll pay them back. It might take a year or two or three, but we're going to pay them back every penny. And uh, that's when we jumped on the plane and uh, decided to do it locally and from the ground up. And we landed in Cincinnati, Ohio, started driving a car, just the two of us, two binders and a printer, <laughs> and, uh, finding off-market deals, renovating them, managing them, finding uh, some pe- some good people to help us, um, and uh, started scaling the size of deals from single families, fourplexes, eight units, 12 units, and etc. And today we're managing the, as you said, it's at this point, it's 3000 units in uh, six cities, four states, and uh, with the hundreds of people that help us. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love that story, right? So you've really had a lot of progression there. And like you said, early on, you faced some challenges. And I know you guys probably learned a lot from that, especially being long distance investors. So I got to ask, so those challenges you that you were facing as a long distance investor, what can you dive into a few, some, some more of those challenges and how you were, what you took away from them so you could apply to them when you landed in Cincinnati and started being boots on the ground? So I think it's really structured the way we operate and think today it made us into control freaks in a a way where today the company is 100% vertically integrated from uh, property management to construction to even purchasing construction materials as a whole and supplying them to the sites for the manpower to work with and not uh, letting a contractor to go to Home Depot and buy his own materials and uh, Kind of, we went all the way to the area of controlling every piece of the investment equation to to make sure that it's done right. And then I can uh, invest and then I can bring investors with me to uh, to rely on me and not to rely on me, to rely on someone else, to rely on someone else and another someone. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, I, you know, I appreciate you going to that level of detail because really, you know, taking that kind of control, that's a lot of work, right? You know, being a long distance investor, um, yeah, sure, you can still be active in the business, but it's a little bit more passive, right? It's uh, it's a little bit relying on other people to do this. So you guys came in, Cincinnati started, started buying deals, building your business, you know, to be vertically integrated. What have you found in terms of, so you basically, in my mind, and this could be wrong, but you you were facing some challenges as a long distance investor, right? And then you came in, you're like, listen, we're going to take control of this thing. We're going to, you know, build all this, uh, build all these pieces of our company, whether it's property management, construction, materials, all that stuff. Well, that's a lot of growth. You know, it's, a, it's a doing a lot of stuff. So you, did you kind of just trade some challenges for some other challenges? Because, you know, being able to scale that fast, there's got to be a lot of, um, you know, challenges that come with that as well, right? And what did that look like, if so? so all the time. We had challenges at the beginning with contractors until we mm-hmm. understood that working with them, I can work with third parties if I can replace them tomorrow morning. I have to have the skill in my company to negotiate with someone else to provide me the service. Because if you are 100% dependent on a third-party contractor and he kind of uh, holds you uh, hostage and you and you understand that if you fire him today, you cannot bring him to work tomorrow. Uh, and uh, then your project will be over time, mm-hmm. over budget. 
The next contractor will come in and start quoting like it's a whole new job. So that's number one. And it's worth the pains of growth. And we have learned those too, working with contractors. And the scaling was painful, but not being able to control at any point was more painful. Yeah. And I think that's important to recognize, right? So you might have had some challenges or whatever with, you know, um, you know, the long distance stuff, but you you found that those were more painful than say you taking control and it really just, you know, building this thing from the ground up and having your own. And so I got to say, man, so you, you've, you've scaled vertically, right? You've got a, a property management, you do construction on your own, and then you do in-house material sourcing as well. And, and I got to say, so you probably have a, a pretty good team, but one thing that I know about building a team is, you know, we're just finding partners is hiring, right? You want to be able to put the right people in the right seats. And so I'm sure over time, since you guys have started this, you really honed your skills for bringing in the right people. What are some tips or some pieces of advice you could give us that you've learned about hiring and bringing in the right people to fill those roles? So, yeah, it's a very good question. So the I think the key for me, for our success was, first of all hiring good leadership mm. people so the key positions the leadership positions we've, we've built over time a process because we had failures with that we've built a process where a new executive or a high level manager that comes abroad that comes on board is uh, someone we interview a few times and we get some kind of a more experienced advisor on board to interview this person as well and not just rely on our instincts. Mm. And then the next step is that every leadership position starts at our company for three months as an advisor. It's kind of an advisory period where you can see that this person is pushing to be involved. And one of the exercises we're doing in this three-month period of advisory is forget about the person for three weeks. Don't tell him to do anything. Don't give him any <laughs> task. See how a person manages and not getting any work on his table from the management. And you see how much initiative this person takes. How much is it someone that is hungry to, to be involved? Or is it someone that is kind of, he knows how to provide solutions, but only if you beg him for it or push him towards it. And that's not a perfect leader in our perspective. And then the, the rest of the company will follow that. So this is one point. And uh, there, are, there are more, but I can talk about it for hours. Yeah, I, you, I gotta be honest with you, man. I've never heard that. And I think that's that's huge, right? You're kind of given this probationary period to be like, hey, is this guy gonna work out? But then also you're saying, let's see what kind of initiative this guy goes because you're looking for leadership leadership positions. And so you wanna go get her. You want a problem solver, right? And so you're giving them the freedom to um to do that right and it really shows their their natural skills and if they they are a go-getter it's very interesting man i that's the first time i've heard that so i definitely appreciate you sharing that so i kind of want to uh transition from that a little bit right so you came what was it 2017 you landed in cincinnati is that what you said beginning of 2018 okay 2018 and you guys started taking down deals when you when you when you came, you know, you took the flight over to America. Did you already know which markets you were going to target? I know you said Cincinnati, but you guys were in other markets as well. Did you already have an idea of where you were looking to buy properties? Yeah. So we we looked at the map. We didn't have a specific preference. We had a certain list of criteria to that guide us. But then we had 
out of the markets that we pinpointed, someone introduced us an investor that had a preference and it was Cincinnati, Ohio. And it was within this range of strategy that we're focusing on. So we started in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this investor told us, I will invest with you in every deal you find off market. If you guys will run it A to Z and, and listen to my advice and my experience and wisdom. So we started working this way in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, cool. So, so started in Cincinnati, got some properties, found some good deals, started making moves. How did, how did it go into other markets? What was that expansion like for you guys? Was that an easy thing? Did you run into some challenges there doing stuff, you know, in different areas? And what were those other markets? So it took us a long time before we decided to expand over the 45 minutes. It was a range. We did a range on a map of 45 minutes Okay. In the management office, and we decided not to expand until like two years into the business. And when, when we had around 500 units already, we decided to open it to like an hour and a half. And second market was Lexington, Kentucky, where we already started focusing on larger multifamilies, properties over 100 units at the time, where, we, where it's easier to manage because you have management on site. You can hire people to, to be on the site and, and manage it from there. So we felt comfortable scale, to scale this way. Okay, cool. So you guys were kind of staying in those Midwestern markets. And I actually noticed I was on your website not too long ago. And I noticed a lot of your portfolio actually consisted, just of what you're saying, consisted of those Midwestern markets, right? Ohio, Kentucky, that kind of stuff. Do you guys plan to stay in those markets or expand outside of that? So we expanded to one more market, to Houston, Texas. Houston, okay. We wanted to be part of the, to, to enjoy part of the growth <laughs> in the South. And uh, we chose Houston. We've been studying Florida and Texas for a year and a half before entering the market. And we felt like Florida is more of an institutional market mm. where it, both of those markets have great future in my perspective. But I felt like in Texas on the short term, you can gain some better returns. Uh, Florida is really booming and institutional capi capital is, is flowing there. And therefore, the cap rates are a little more suppressed which is not matching our criteria. Okay, cool. So talk to us a little bit more about Houston. Obviously, you ruled out Florida for the reasons you just mentioned. Talk to us some more about Houston. Why is it? Why was it attractive market to you guys? Why are you guys looking to be in that area? So Houston, Texas, first of all, for us as a company, there is a good ability to scale within one city, within one market. Houston has more than 4,000 properties, over 200 units apiece which allows us to pick and choose and keep growing. In the Midwest, we felt with the rate of growth that we're doing, it's harder to find deals in our criteria. And it's eventually we need to choose from a smaller pool of deals. And here we can focus on a larger range of deals. So that was good for us. And also it's, it's perfectly matching our criteria. We like secondary markets to the hottest market. So mm -hmm. Austin is the hottest market in Texas. Houston is secondary market. Austin is booming uh, like crazy, but people are already buying their stuff on negative performance, just with optimism. And uh, the rents rose 40% last year. So it was the record in, in the States. And, and we believe that Houston will be the second wave. You can easier, in an easier way, predict secondary markets. Uh, same same thing we did with with Cincinnati as secondary to Columbus, uh, Lexington secondary to Louisville, and uh, Houston as secondary to Austin. 
Yeah. And I really like that, that outlook there. Right. Cause I can tell you, I lived in Houston for a few years and that that's a massive city. That's a massive Metro, right? There's a lot of stuff there. Like you said, what'd you say over 4,000 properties with 200 doors? I mean, they just, the potential there is massive and it's, uh, there's being, there's already been a flood of people going there, but it's only increasing right as time passes. So I think that's a, that's a fantastic market to be in. I actually love Houston. I'm invested in Houston as well. So, um, I love hearing that, uh, you know, that you guys are entering that market. So, you know, you mentioned growth, um, and even like being in Houston, whatever growth markets, all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about kind of the current state of the market, right? Over the last few months, there's been some uncertainty, you know, rising interest rates, recession, all that good stuff, right? And as a passive investor, I'm a passive investor. So as a passive investor over the last, say, I don't know, three to five, maybe six months, I've seen deal flow slow down, at least as a passive investor, right? Less deals have been hitting my inbox. Um, but it seems recently, maybe within the last month, something around there seems to be ticking up a little bit. Are you guys, what are you guys experiencing in the market? Are you guys seeing something similar to that? If not, what are you guys seeing? So first of all, we are seeing that sellers become more flexible mm. with at least, it's not that prices are going down dramatically, but it, but there were an atmosphere of such a strong seller's market that sellers wanted crazy things they wanted like a one million dollar day one hard uh, hard deposits taking crazy risks before even being able to inspect the property i think that this time is over i feel like on that sense there is much more flexibility from sellers we feel like we got to a few sellers on deals where they had companies that didn't know how to process the new market environment and they dropped deals so there's a lot of sellers that are more cooperating because of that because uh, there's a lot of companies that cannot adjust fast enough to the changing market mm. and uh, having hard time to underwrite in the in the new conditions so the market is slowing down because of that regard as well Okay. Yeah. And I think that's super important, right? Because you got to have this balance between the buyers and sellers. And what you're saying is, is, you know, the last few months, there really hasn't been that the sellers haven't kind of come down off their, off their perch to come down to, to reality, right? What's actually right. happening in the market. So I love that you explained that. So I got to ask, you know, you guys had taken down a bunch of deals well before, you know, this year. Right. And so with, with things changing with interest rates, all that kind of stuff, has that, uh, have you guys had to adjust your strategy at all, or does it kind of stay true to what you guys are doing? Just make sure you're underwriting well. Well, we we had to adjust. We had to drop a couple A properties that we had that didn't work under the new uh, market conditions. So we had to drop a couple of those deals. We had to. There was a deal. The biggest deal that we're about to buy is the biggest complex in Cincinnati. It's almost a thousand units. Wow. And uh, we've been working on this deal on, the, on this seller to sell it to us for two and a half years. And our only condition was that we will not assume the loan. We will bring new money and he's going to pay the prepayment penalty. So at the beginning of the crisis, he got convinced and agreed to it. And then two months after we called him and said, hey, we want to assume the loan. <laughs> <laughs> and now as the interest rate is about to, to be increased next week as well, and we're going to buy it at 4.4% fixed, which is now a phenomenal rate. It, it makes our deal a pretty significant find. 
Yeah, that is exceptional, right? That kind of that kind of uh, those terms in today's market, I think uh, 4.4 fixed is uh, absolutely spectacular. So great job on that! Congratulations, man. I hope that all goes well. So you know, in terms of you know, we talked about your strategy. You had to adjust a little bit. Let's just back up a little bit. What type of properties are you guys targeting? Obviously, you've talked about some of the markets. What are the property types that you're looking for? Maybe unit count, age, all that kind of stuff. What does that look like for you guys? So we are mostly focusing on type B and type C, on properties with value-add opportunity, where we can come in and and do value-add with our internal teams and internal set of skills, unique skills that we acquired by now that allows us to to do that for fairly good prices and therefore the value add process and therefore uh, we can win on the other side and uh, and this is the main focus and here and there we're doing other deals that are more opportunistic like a pre-commitment to buy the end product from a merchant builder someone who is in the middle of construction and we are committing to buy the deal at the end of it and we're going to list it up and everything and for him it makes sense already to have the buyer on the back end and he can get better financing from the bank and uh, and he can gain on but but also he can leave us some meat on the bone to buy newer projects so that's another route that we've been taking yeah, I'd love to hear that. So you guys are you guys are staying very active in the market. You're still buying deals. You're still looking at deals all the time. So with that in mind, man, I gotta ask. So, you know, I've talked to I talked to a lot of passive investors and they ask, you know, hey, is now still a good time to invest? And I say, you know, just find the right partners, make sure they're taking taking out good deals and you should be good to go, right? What's your thought on the 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 market of multifamily and kind of what we're going to see in the future. Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, but if you're talking to a say a passive investor, what kind of information are you giving them? So I think that we're in a situation in the market where everyone has to take risks because there's not a good alternative. The stock market has been getting hit. Even gold and Bitcoin have been predicted to do well at times of crisis are not doing well. And the multifamily residential, there is a true undeniable shortage a crazy shortage and the, the increase in prices of actual uh, private homes is pushing people towards more and more multifamily and the liquidity that people have in their bank accounts is as as high as it ever was so inflation is putting the money in the bank at risk the stock market is crashing the crypto is not doing well uh, gold is not doing well. What are you going to do? You're going to have to find a good partner and, and invest in real estate because it's the 100% the product that's going to be needed after any any crisis that's about to hit us. I don't know what's going to be the future of crypto. I don't know what's going to be with the stock market. There are surprises today. A company like FedEx, one of the most stable companies in the American uh, industry ever, got hit by 22% loss in one day. It's insane. And uh, I think that as, as it might so- sound seem like a risky time to invest in multifamily, I think it's it's a necessary uh, step at this point. I, I, Stas, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I absolutely agree with that. You know, I think that uh, you got to look at the fundamentals, right? What are the basic underlying fundamentals of uh, of the investment. And like you said, there's this, there's this huge shortage and then where else are you going to put your money? Right. And so I'm like you, man, I, I, uh, I'm fully, 
you call it bullish, but you know, I'm definitely investing in multifamily going forward. Um, cause I think, like you said, where else you're going to put your money? This is, this is stable. You're going to be able to find, um, some good deals, especially if you partner with people like you guys, right. You know, finding good deals to, to invest in. So I appreciate you going to that level of detail. So, so what's next for vision and beyond that's your company. What, what's next for you guys, you guys are going to obviously taking down more deals. Uh, what's the goal for the short term? So actually we are looking by the end of this year to take over another 2,400 units. We're wow. looking to almost double by the end of the year. We have a lot of deals under contract that we're looking to to close with good partners. And next week, I'm on a roadshow in New York, meeting some uh, bigger partners to to make that happen. And uh, I think that's the short term. And then uh, for to be ready, the, the more units we have by the time that if actually a crisis occurs, uh, a bigger crisis, the the better future my company has if we at some point really need to stop buying, you know, if, if six months from now, the, the interest rate, the Fed is going crazy and the interest rate is going 13%, which I don't foresee that happening. But I'm saying if, if that's the case, it, with 5,000 units, we can really stop and not buy another deal for 24 months as a company and still be well on the other side. That that's awesome, man. I love to hear that, you know, and you guys are, you guys are experiencing this massive growth and you got these goals, man. So we'll be following along, excited to see you guys, you know, kind of hit those goals and go from there, man. But uh, man, this has been a great conversation. Love learning more about your story, hearing about what you guys got going on before we get out of here. Tell listeners how they can find out more about you and your business. Uh, so we have a website called vnbinvest.com. It's the website of the company. This is the place to uh, learn more. Uh, my my personal LinkedIn uh, is a place where I'm fairly active. That's it. Okay, great. We're going to make sure to put that stuff in the show notes so our listeners can reach out, contact you guys, and uh, see what else you guys got going on. Stas, this has been great, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much, Danny. Pleasure as well. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, if you haven't checked out our Passive Investors Handbook, I would definitely suggest that you start there. This is a great primer for those looking to jump into passive real estate investing. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. It's 15 pages and takes about 20 minutes to get through. And you can find it on our website or just go to upstreaminvestor.com forward slash handbook. So go check that out and enjoy.